one personal and one professional, I guess you could say, on the professional or ministry side. I, I might have shared this last week if I did, forgive me. Uh, weeks run together and I forget sometimes what, which audience I'm talking to. <laughs> you know, we, we have our online presence and we have our group here, then our group at the house church. And so sometimes I forget who I've told what to. So just forgive me if I repeat any good report. But some of you do partner together with what we do online and in our television ministry. So I wanted you to know we just got a report out of Pakistan just last week. Um, last month, I think I shared with you, we had a viewing audience of about 5.1 million, and we had about right at 300 saved. This month, we had a viewing audience of 6.7 million, and we had 572 saved. And then our viewing audience comes from all the you know popular vacation spots of the world: Iran, Iraq, you know, Afghanistan, China, you know, all these places that. People aren't necessarily lining up to get tickets to visit. Um, and so we're real thankful that, you know, in that 1040 window where so much of the unreached world is, we're, we're having great impact. And some of the testimonies coming out of there are just breathtaking, Book of Acts type stuff. So we thank God for that. And so for those of you that are praying with us and partnering with us, thank you so much. It's just such a huge encouragement to our hearts to see that. And, um, you know, we've been very blessed in that regard. And Recently, I was telling our congregation, I've never really, I'm not much of a, I'm not good at self-promotion, I'm not good at fundraising, you know, I've never, I don't, I, those things don't come naturally to me, we just present the need, and I told our people, I said, I'm believing God to raise up some, you know, additional partners, really because we just have to say no to so many things, you know, we, we, we have our needs met in the ministry, our stuff is underwritten pretty well, but there's things we sometimes want to be able to do, we just have to say no to, and so this month, it was great just to see, you know, that consistency and partnership, people giving to the work of the Lord. And so we appreciate that and just continue to pray for that. So on that side, it's just a great report. On the, the other side, on the personal side, I'm, I'm, on, I'm running on fumes this morning, I have to be honest with you. I did get a little bit of sleep last night. Not quite six hours, but almost. But before that, I got about three hours of sleep in 36. Um, I've been working extra shifts. And originally, the goal of that, you know, I worked graveyard. And I don't know if you've ever worked graveyard shift, but... You can say you're going to sleep during the day, but it's, it's harder to do. It just is. I, I don't, I, I'm sure you've all experienced that. And so I started working some extra shifts, six, six days a week instead of five, thinking that the extra money would be great. But with gas prices, the extra money actually just enables me to pay for gas to go to work, honestly. <laughs> so I'm looking for a better solution. So just be in prayer with us uh, that you know, God will open up another door, that something else will surface to provide for the needs but we're thankful you know these days i'm mostly just thankful after the accident a couple months a few months ago and then looking at the economy to be sheltered and alive and healthy and breathing and fed i'm pretty thankful for that in the day in which we live it's pretty amazing just the uh, times in which we're living and it's amazing to me that much of the world seems pretty oblivious to the desperate situation that we have not only in our nation but around the world it just seems like um, I don't know. seems like we're our own worst enemy. It seems like people have a hard time getting out of their own way these days, it seems like, in so many ways. So I want to share something from the Word of God today. You know, I think one of the things, if you can go with me if you want to Matthew 7, and I'm going to be looking up the Scriptures in real time with you. Normally I have them all right pre-programmed into my, uh, into my iPad, but I'm going to be looking up them up with you, which means you'll probably actually have time to turn to them with me. Uh, but I'm going to talk today a little bit about prayer. I like to at least once a year 
do a series on prayer, talk about prayer. You know, there's so many things to talk about in the Word of God, but there's some, some things I try to make sure I emphasize or focus on on an annual basis just to, you know, put us in remembrance. Peter said, as long as I'm still in this fleshly tabernacle, he said, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things, although you already know them. And how many you know there are some things we know, but we still need to be encouraged in them, admonished in them, reminded of them, and just have some of those principles brought back. You know, most of the time today, when I hear a minister that I respect preach or teach the Word of God, they're generally not saying something that I don't know on some level. I mean, they might bring out some nugget from the Greek or Hebrew that, you know, something maybe introduced to my ministerial palate I haven't heard before. But for the most part, I'm not hearing new stuff. Mostly, and that's probably true of you too, I'm just being put in remind or in remembrance of things that I've already known that I'm maybe not walking in the light of. Because how many of you know, it's not, it doesn't matter how much word you know, what matters is how much word are you doing? How much word are you incorporating into your daily life and practice? And so, today the things I'm going to share with you are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But at the same time, they're absolutely essential to being effective in your life as a believer. So, again, talking about praying the will of God, being effective in praying. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking. I think it's important we take notes of the words of Jesus, right? Matthew 7, verses 7 through uh, 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And then one other passage, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Maybe my favorite verses on the subject of prayer. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. The reason that I like these two passages of Scripture is that they are so absolutely positive in, the, in regard to answered prayer. Now, I do think that the church is guilty of something that, that we need to be careful about. I think sometimes we are too quick to give easy answers to difficult solutions. I think, you know, in other words, today I'm going to give you my ten points for success in life, or whatever, you know, three points to answered prayer. We love these little things that are kind of packaged, you know, in some kind of homogenized, you know, pre... You know, it's kind of like, you know, here's success, just add water, that kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of that kind of preaching. But I think we have to be very careful about that. That's one of the reasons why these days, rather than just preaching from a lecture standpoint, I love what like my son Cameron and I are doing on Wednesday night when we're having a discussion. Because I think sometimes... Our, our way of learning lends itself to this idea of just do one, two, three, and, and that's your answer. Now, that might work in algebra or, you know, other disciplines that just need a direct answer, a direct solution. You know, if you're working on your car, it's very simple. You take out the bad part, you put in the new part, and it works, at least ideally, right? And I think sometimes we try to make everything that simplistic, and, and you and I both know that life is not that simplistic. Some things are just more complex, more nuanced than that. And I think when it comes to prayer, it can be that way. Well, you know, just pray and pray such a way and, you know, your prayers will be answered. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can be so overly simplistic that people that are not having success in prayer feel like, 
Well, what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me because Jesus said, everyone who asks receives. Well, I've asked and I didn't receive and I saw it and I didn't find and I keep knocking and I just get, you know, bruises on my knuckles. So what's wrong with me? And I think sometimes we need to take a little bit of time to talk about this stuff in a more nuanced way. Now, the fact of the matter is, the Master said, whoever asks receives, who seeks finds. Now, you remember, one of the responsibilities Jesus had was to reveal the heart of the Father. John 1.18, no one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. So part of Jesus' job when He was here on the earth was to reveal the heart of the Father. So one of the things I take away from Matthew 7, 7-11 is that answered prayer is not something that God is playing a game with us about. It is His goal that we get what we ask for. That we have success in our prayer life. That when we seek Him, or that when we knock on the door of opportunity, that the door is open, that we find what we're seeking for. And then John is also very positive. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, and here's a caveat, according to His will, He hears us. I know all of us have probably prayed, and it felt like the heavens were brass. That, that God was not hearing, that, that we didn't know whether we had the ear of God or not. And the reason why is because we, being natural people, living in a physical material world, are used to response. You know, if you're talking with someone, you can kind of gauge by their expression or by their body language how they're responding to what you're saying. But when you're praying, it's purely a faith proposition. Because you can't see God, let alone His expression, right? So you have to trust on the basis of the Word of God that He's hearing you. And the Bible does not say to us that if you feel like God heard you, He did. The Bible tells us very expressly that if you pray in line with the will of God, He hears us. And that if He hears us, we know we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. So to be honest with you, feelings don't really come into it at all. But oftentimes we're judging the effectiveness of life and prayer and everything else more on the basis of whether or not you know, we feel like God heard me. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like God heard me. I don't know if I feel like, you know, I really made connection with God. And I think if we're not careful, this feeling religion can be very detrimental to us. On the other hand, I think it's dangerous to have an overly intellectual religion. With some people, God and the things of God are purely an academic pursuit. And I think that's just as void of effectiveness as well. But like I said, I think things are... You know, this is a difficult world to live in, especially right now. You know, I, Maria and I were talking about this as a kid. You know, I grew up, I was born in 64, so I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I don't ever remember things being this difficult. Now, I, I could be wrong. Some of you have lived through things I haven't lived through. But other than w- the World War and the Depression in the 20th century, I can't think of a time where things were as unpredictable, uh, uncertain, you know, not only the skyrocketing price of gas, but food, just basic necessities. I know economists are warning people, don't buy anything right now, because you're going to need that money just to feed your families. You know, that kind of stuff is, is frightening to hear. And if your reliance is only upon what you can do, right? If you're depending on, well, I'm going to make it work by my good effort or my whatever, then that's a frightening proposition because you're relying upon what you and I both know is a faulty system. We're not always able to do what we want to do. We're not always capable. We, we have limitations. Thankfully, our God knows no limitation. And I don't know about you, but one of the, one of the, staying, one of the things that gives me staying power is to know that I'm not reliant upon myself or that I'm not reliant upon other human beings or, thank God, the U.S. economy, Right? You know, Elijah, you think about Elijah in the time of famine, right? And that famine affected him as well. The brook dried up. 
right? But still God sustained him. And I love how God did it. How did God sustain the prophet? Number one, he brought, brought him bread and flesh twice a day through a raven, a crow, okay? Now, my wife and I, we go out off-roading all the time. We just went out yesterday. And there's crows everywhere. And can I just tell you, they're not eager to share, right? They're, they're scavenger birds. In fact, Maria, we, 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 there was this one road we really liked. And we, I don't know, we call it kind of like the telephone pole road. It's an access road really for like uh, trucks that work on the telephone poles and the power lines. But, but there's, there's nests in every one of them. And there's one that's a hawk nest. And just, by the way, I flew up my drone the other day and got right up next to that nest and a little hawkling was sitting there staring at my drone and I was staring and I, I recorded it all. It was beautiful. But anyway, so we like going there because there's all this wildlife and, you know, last night we saw a kid fox and very often coyotes, every once in a while a badger. But those crows, one of them flew away and she said, what was that in its beak? <laughs> so, you know, it had a field mice, it had something, you know, and you know you're seeing it. But the crows are scavenger birds, right? They don't, they don't share. So what I love about that parable is, or not the parable, but the story, is it shows that God can use things that normally don't flow a certain way to flow to our advantage, right? You know, you probably have heard this before, but some of the greatest fortunes ever made were made during the Great Depression. Because people knew how to take advantage of that, that opportunity, if you will, if you want to call it that. And then how did God sustain him after that? Well, he sent him to a widow woman. Great idea. Sent him to a widow woman who did not have social security, right? She's basically down to her last cake. And, and what's, her, what's her prognosis for the future? My son, are going to eat this little last cake and then we're going to die. Well, that's not encouraging, especially when you're going there for, for dinner. <laughs> and so what did the prophet do? He spoke the word of the Lord, and then that, that barrel of meal and that cruise of oil sustained them, if you do the math, probably for about a year and a half, two years, whatever. But for the remainder of the famine, they were eating high on the hog, if you will, when everybody else was starving, when the grass was dying, when the cows are dying in the fields, right? Because of the drought. So what I'm saying is that God has a way of sustaining us despite the environment, the economic, the social environment. All of that is independent of God. God is transcendent. Right? He's able to operate outside the system or infuse the system with information to make it work our direction. So I say that to say that when it comes to prayer, it is truly a supernatural lifeline to, to divine sustenance and provision and strength and encouragement. So what I'm saying is prayer needs to be a part of our life and it needs to be prayer that works, right? It's not just something we do to soothe ourselves like people read their horoscopes. This is something where we're genuinely connecting with divinity, right? We're tapping into the unlimited resources of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. We have something we can access that those outside covenant with God just don't have. That should be a huge source of encouragement for us. Because if you had to rely on anything else, it's all limited, right? I mean, I hate to think... I hate, well, Number one, I hate to think the best minds are in Washington trying to figure stuff out. Because if those are the best minds, we're in big trouble. But even the best minds don't have answers and solutions, right? That's why you've got the richest man in the world actually trying to create civilizations on Mars right now. I mean, I think that's a little bit wacko, but um, that's where people... In other words, they've kind of given up on the, on the planet. They've given up on life here. So again, our dependency upon God and our faith in His ability to sustain us is huge, right? 
And the way Jesus puts it, and let me just say this, if you were a Jew living in first century Palestine under Roman occupation, it wasn't any better. Right? They, they, it was rough for them as well. So when Jesus comes with this wonderful message revealing the heart of the Father and says, listen, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. I, I can't even imagine. That was certainly different than church the way they knew it. Because their idea of church was, well, if you follow all the rules and do everything just right, and, and you know, you know, jump through this hoop and go over this hurdle and crawl on your knees on broken glass and follow the law just so, you know, God might bless you. And it was this fatalistic thing, really. And Jesus comes and just expresses this compassion of the Father, this Father heart of God that was so wonderful. You know, we, we pray for a lot of different reasons. We might pray to foster intimacy with God. We might pray to experience His presence and peace, as we said a while ago. We pray to worship God, right? Because He alone is worthy of our, of our devotion. We pray for wisdom. Lord, what should I do? And then, lastly, and, and what I'm kind of talking about right now, we pray for results. I'm not interested in prayers that, again, are just kind of a... I don't know, um, what's the word when instead of giving them medicine, they just give them a placebo? I'm not interested in placebo prayers, right? That, that have the appearance of doing something, but really, it's just to make you feel better. It's not really working. I don't believe God wants us to have a placebo prayer life. I believe He wants us to have an effective prayer life. And He gives us ways in which that can happen. He says, again, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. So, again, when it comes to this idea of results, how can we get answers to our prayers? Number one, we have to know that we're praying in line with His will. And this kind of comes down to the whole fundamental idea of what is prayer to begin with. Because if I see prayer as just getting what I want from God, then I'm kind of like that rebellious teenager that's trying to talk Dad out of the key to the car so I can go out and do what I want, right? But if, I'm, if I see prayer as a way of extending kingdom rule through my life and obedience, if I see it as a way of establishing the will of God on the earth, that I'm no longer on one side of the negotiating table and God's on the other. Rather, I'm co-laboring together with Him to see His will accomplished in the earth. And as far as I can understand prayer, that's exactly what it is. It's a means of establishing kingdom rule in the earth through our participation with Him. I've, I've said for years, you've heard me preach it many times, I think one of the most dangerous things to prayer is this erroneous idea that the will of God is just always done. God is sovereign, God's will is going to be done no matter what. No, it's not. The Bible said God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, to, to repentance and come to life. But you and I both know there are people splitting hell wide open every day, going into eternity without the knowledge of Christ. That's not the will of God, and yet it's happening. It was not God's will that Israel had a king. He wanted to be their king, but they insisted. What did God do? He gave them their way, right? Uh, we could go on and on. I could give you uh, example after example of times when the will of God is not done. Because of a failure for people to cooperate with God's divine will. Um, you know, I've always been so thrilled, and I've shared this with Murray many times. I've always been so thrilled to know that God's got a plan for my life. That He included me, right, in His overall purpose. I might just have a line or two on the stage of life, right? I might just walk on briefly, do my little part, and go back off. But at least I'm a participant in the plan of God. You are too. And I think that's wonderful. So I've always sought to know, Lord, what is Your will for my life? You know, I, I want to know... How I'm going to spend my, you know, four score years or whatever I have, you know, four score and ten, four score and whatever, you know, five score, if you get real lucky maybe. You know, how do I spend my time on the earth so that it advances your purpose in the, in the earth? 
But I found out, you know, I, I thought everybody was excited about that, and I found out later a lot of people don't like that idea at all. So I've got my own plan, thank you very much. They're not interested in the will of God because their will is supreme in their life. But you know, if you're a Christian, what's the very first thing you do? Jesus, you are Lord, right? You're boss. I, when I'm praying the sinner's prayer with people online, particularly, I like that phrase, Lord Jesus, come take over management in my life. You ever gone to a restaurant and it was horrible? You had a lousy experience? And maybe it's got a reputation for not being good. But then all of a sudden, one day you go by that restaurant and it's got a sign, Under New Management. What does that mean? Give us another chance. Maybe you'll have a good experience this time. Because we're doing stuff different now, right? And when we get born again, that's, that's the way it is. Somebody else moves in and takes charge, right? And now our life is under new management. And people that maybe had a horrible experience with us before, all of a sudden realize something's different being served in the kitchen now, right? Something's going to be a blessing rather than a curse. I know my wife and I, we joke, yeah, there's one restaurant which will remain nameless. Actually, it's closed now. But we went we had a ground beef steak. That thing is still infamous. I'm not sure what I ate. I just know it did not agree with any part of my physiology. That's all I know. But nevertheless, you know, you can put your life under new management, right? And then all of a sudden, people who had a bad experience, you are now having a good experience. So, now, that's how I like to see my life. I want my life under Christ's management. Which means my prayer life is also subject to Him, just like every other aspect of my life. Now, again, this idea of putting our prayers at God's disposal. You know, let me let me read it. You can go with me if you want. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 18. Again, this idea that, you know, we are labors together with God in this arena of prayer. Jesus, again, is speaking. And He says this, Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So where's the initiative? In a very real sense, it's with us, right? We're laboring together with God, but it's as we pray that God gets involved. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. And that whole last verse, verse 20, was not just talking about being meeting together and gathering together. Talk about gathering together in His name for the purpose of prayer and establishing the will of God on the earth. So again, there's much responsibility on the church to see to it that God's will is established and carried out in the world. So I want to talk about three little things here, three keys. We won't take a lot with each one because we've talked about them before. But again, just a good reminder. How can I know that my prayer life is indeed engaging with God and that His will is being done through my prayer life. Number one, know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. I'm amazed at how many times I hear people pray things that are in direct contradiction to the revealed will of God in His Word. God God is not schizophrenic. The Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures, right, has revealed to us the mind of God. So He's not going to honor prayers that are prayed that contravene or go against the revealed will of God. So again, if I'm going to pray in line with the Word of God, or the will of God, then I've got to pray in line with the Word of God. Now I believe there's two ways that this works. I believe there are things the Word of God explicitly tells us that are the will of God. And some things are more implicit. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about an explicit example of how to pray the Word. If I'm praying for the lost, the souls to be saved, how do I pray that? I think it's a little lame to say, Lord, save the lost. 
Right? I mean, Jesus went to the cross to do that. Obviously, I think we need a little bit more than that, right? So how did Jesus tell His disciples to pray for the lost? If you look at it, we're not going to look at it for time's sake, but you, you'll remember Matthew 9, 37 to 38, I believe it is. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, if you have a field that needs to be harvested, it's not going to happen by praying about it. Right? Somebody's got to go out and reap that harvest. You've heard me say before growing up, I, we always sang the song, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. And I was a teenager before I realized, I don't know what a sheave is. What's a sheave? That wasn't something I grew up with in my little, you know, small town life. You know, we didn't have sheaves. I think all that was years I thought we were saying bringing in the sheep. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. Well, of course, a sheep is a bundle of wheat or whatever else that needs to be harvested. It has to be brought into the barn. It has to be harvested, bundled, and brought into the barn, right? And likewise, laborers have to go out and harvest fields if there's going to be a harvest. Because somebody's got to preach the Word. Nobody gets saved until they have something to believe. Nobody can believe anything until they've heard, right? So we have to go out. And, and you know you know how it is with family. They're probably not going to listen to you. <laughs> Because then they'd have to admit you were right. That crazy kooky religion you got in is actually true. They're not going to admit that to you. So what do you do? You pray for the, for the Lord to send the right labor across your path. That's the way I pray for the lost. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's an explicit revelation of the will of God. So I know how to pray for the lost because Jesus told me, pray that the Lord of the harvest, which is the Father, would send out laborers into His harvest. Now if you're going to pray that, you've got to be ready to go yourself. Because in the very next verse, Matthew 10, He's saying... Go, right? And he's sending them, commissioning them to go. So we all have to be harvest-ready laborers. But that's how we pray for the law, to pray that laborers be sent forth. On the same token, though, the more we get into the Word of God, the more we come to know God. You know, like with my wife, when, I, when we got married, she didn't hand me a booklet and said, this is all you need to know about me, honey. Read this and you will know me. There are still things a decade plus later I'm learning, right? Because... People are more nuanced than that. God is more nuanced than just, you know, here's a, here's a few epistles to tell you all there is to know about God. But the more I know Him through His Word and through relationship, the more I understand something about the nature and the character of God. The more I understand about my wife, the more, the more nuanced my understanding is about her, the more I can do things that will enhance and, and promote our relationship. I remember my wife will ask you, she'll know who I'm talking about immediately. But in my younger life, there was somebody who every birthday, particularly Christmas, they would get me a particular kind of gift. And I cannot tell you, but I can't say it any better than this, but what they gave me, you would have to search the world over to find something that I could care less about. And I don't mean to sound unkind. You know, it's a gift. You should be appreciative. But I'm telling you, if I told you what it was, you'd probably think, really? They gave you that? Because it, I just, I, it had no place to fit in my world. And so I would do the obligatory, well, thank you, that's very nice. And then, of course, it would wind up on the back shelf of some room I never walked into, right? And, but what is that indicative of? It's indicative of somebody who doesn't know you at all, right? And I don't know, don't get me wrong, we always appreciate what people do for us, but there's something about people doing something for you because they know and understand what's going to really minister to your heart, right? And, and, and it shows that they put some thought into it. And that they knew what you valued. My, one of my favorite gifts I've received in recent years was a simple coffee cup that my daughter bought me, what, two Christmases ago? She got one for Maria, too. But the reason I love the cup so much, number one, it comes from my oldest daughter. But number two, she had it custom made with photographs of herself and me on it. And one of them is a photograph of her. She's, what, 32? 
two now? Was she must have been four, three, four, and she was wearing a little ballerina outfit. And she would go to the house pirouetting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's a picture of me, much younger, darker hair for sure, no beard, on my knees with her in her little outfit. And it's my favorite photograph of me and her. So she had that coffee cup made with that photo and then a recent one of her and I. And the moment I got it, immediately tears in my eyes, right? And it wasn't the value monetarily, but it, it was evidence that she knew what I valued. And it was something that spoke of intimacy between her and I. And still to this day, I hardly even pull it out of the closet lest something should happen to it. You know, that kind of thing. But, but it just shows she knows her dad. And when we know the Father, when we know God, it makes it easier to pray prayers that we know honor Him, right? You know, when it comes to my life, I, what I really want is a, a God-honoring life. You know, at this age, I'm, I'll be 58 this year, I'm, you know, stuff is great, but stuff comes and goes, and you know how it is, it rusts out, it gets old, and there, there are so many things more valuable than the things we possess, and one of those things, again, is just being able to honor that relationship with God and live our lives in a way that honors Him. So, again, the Word of God teaches us some explicit things about the will of the Father, but also it gets us to know Him. And the better we know Him, the more effective we can be in our prayer lives. And I think, you know, just to say this, I guess I'm going to kind of wind to a close here because we're almost out of time. I guess we'll pick this up again next Sunday because I've got more to say. <laughs> I always have more to say. But uh, I've got more to say along this line. But, but I do believe that much of our prayer life should be around the focus of fellowship with God. I, I, I spend very little time in my life asking God for things. Very little. And when I do, it's usually not about something I want to promote or self-aggrandize my life. Now, like I said, I'm seeking Him for a better solution on you know, some work stuff. But that, that's, I think, something that, again, frees me up to do what I want to do, which is honor Him and glorify Him with my life. So, I, I remember my spiritual father said this. You know, he had been in ministry for like 60 years by the time he died. He said, in, he'd say, in 50 years, I've never prayed, Lord, bless me. He said, I always pray, Lord, make me a blessing. And I think that is, what is, that's an evidence of maturity. For one thing, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you want to live a blessed life, get on the giving side of life. But what I'm saying is, the more I uh, grow with the Lord, the more I realize how little of life has to do with anything that we possess or we own or what, you know, just the external things God gives us, has much more to do with internal riches. I mean, what price can you put on peace of mind, Right? What price can you put on my, my son's birthday is today, my oldest son. And so I said, you know, you're a wonderful son, you're a wonderful father, you're a wonderful brother, and best of all, you love Jesus. I mean, there's nothing in my life more important to me than that, that my kids love Jesus and grow up and honor Him, right? So these are the things that I value. The older, the more I get to know God, and the things that are important in my life, it has reshaped the way that I approach God in prayer. And very little of my life is about asking Him for anything. It's more about, Lord, what can I do? How can you direct me in ways where my life is making more mileage, better mileage, more effective in serving your purpose? Because I know that the more I pursue Him, the Bible said, if I follow Him all the days of my goodness and mercy will follow me. So blessing, I believe, by and large, is the after effect or the consequence of a life well lived. I found this, for example, I can spend my time, as I said earlier, trying to raise money for ministry, or I can just obey God and trust Him to be my CFO. 
right? And that's a lot more uh, peace filling <laughs> and stress relieving than it is with me trying to figure out all the solutions and answers. So, I don't know. I hope this was a blessing on some level. We'll come back and finish it up. But there's more, much more I've got to say. But we want to honor God with our lives, right? We want Him to take over management of our life, including our prayer life. And I believe there's things we can do as we get to know God that enable us to have a more effective prayer life as we know Him, as we enter into a deeper, richer relationship with Him. So, Father, we pray that we would indeed grow in our knowledge of You, that we would grow wisdom, our understanding of how to engage with You in prayer, so that You're glorified in and through our lives. Father, we certainly we have needs, and we want to pray that those needs be met. But, Father, may we grow into the understanding that You're already interested in those things, and that if we pray... You're willing and more than willing and desirous to respond and answer our prayers, to open the doors that we're knocking on, to help us find what we're seeking after, and help us to be able to engage effectively so that we can glorify You in all that we do. We give You thanks and praise for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.